There, there are many Sundays where I feel like I could just sing about Jesus and his love and about how good he is for another hour. And uh, I know that's not what you guys want to do. <laughs> A whole another hour, but it's so great to sing to him. It's so great to sing about him. It's so great to sing and encourage one another. And sometimes we sing and it's almost like we're singing to our own soul to remind our soul of who he is and what he's done. And uh, I'm so glad for the gift of singing that he gave us, music and song and, and uh, how it connects our heart to him in a special, unique way. This morning, we're going to look at the scriptures as it deals with worry. I titled the sermon, Disarming Anxiety. How many of you have ever dealt with uh, anxiety or worry, right? A lot of you. Uh, statistically, according to a 2019 poll, two-thirds of Americans said that they dealt with significant anxiety and worry to the point of thinking they need medication or some kind of medical professional help. They dealt with that kind of anxiety. They don't all go to get that help, but that's according to that poll. And then after the pandemic, supposedly, even though data is still coming out, there's been a lot of studies that have shown that anxiety and worry has only increased. My first experience with anxiety was as a kid. I grew up in a non-Christian home and uh, a broken home. Um, we were allowed to see things that that nobody should see, but kids surely should not see. And um, my mother got into drugs and, uh, and, and leaving us alone, and she was broken, and she didn't have a husband, and she didn't have the Lord with her, and, and uh, she was dealing with her own trauma from her own past and her own childhood and being abused and being mistreated and she carried that over into parenting, which is what we do as humans. We can't not do that unless we get help and really process it. And so uh, when I was an early teenager, because I had been dealing with a lot of strife and anger and stress, uh, I had what I think is called a panic attack, what I imagine is a panic attack. And the teachers I had at the time uh, really cared about me. They knew a little bit about my home life. When I was 14, I moved out of my house uh, involuntarily, and uh, and I ended up calling Child Protective Services on my mom, and of course, she didn't like that. And so I got kicked out of my house, and I moved in with a mentally unstable single mom with her two daughters, uh, one of which was my age, and we were all, including the mom, into things we shouldn't be into. And... Uh, I remember sleeping, uh, I had a, you know, a, a mattress on the floor. I remember sleeping there. And because of a certain man that was uh, staying at that house for a while, and I got to, f you know, when you're around those environments, you kind of know who's, or you suspect who's not safe. And I remember being anxious, and uh, I would put headphones on and listen to horrible music, which made no sense. It's ironic. I was listening to bad music in order to get myself calmed down. I was listening to secular horrible music, um, and my feet would just twitch for about 30 minutes, and I'd be so anxious. Sometimes I would just, I, I looked like I had some kind of function, uh, dysfunction going on, and I would twitch because I was so nervous in my stomach, I thought someone was going to hurt me. 
And I remembered laying down at night and feeling that anxiousness, and I think that led to the panic attack, and just feeling like unsafe and, and not well. And then I got saved at 16 and my life totally changed. Uh, I still had things happen. I still had issues go on. Uh, but, but God entered into my world and into my soul and my mind and my heart in a special way I don't even now know how to explain in words where he was there with me. He was present with me. And when I was 19, I was in college and I was realizing through uh, count, a, set, a sort of counseling that I had traumatic events that happened in my childhood that I had never processed. I was sexually abused as a kid. Um, my mom blamed me, it was her friends. And there was all kinds of issues there. And I realized that I had issues that I needed to deal with, so I started meeting uh, with actually a professor, and he was really good with counseling, and he talked with me and tried to get me through thinking of some of these issues. And my, my mom and dad were non-Christians at the time, and I wanted my relationship with my mom to go well. I forgave her, but I, it was difficult. There's a lot of, lot of water under the bridge. And I wanted to know how to be around a person who I was sure was unhealthy, but I loved. How do you do that? And I remember feeling really anxious, and, um, and I, took, uh, I, took a, I took Greek. I loved Greek class. I know that sounds weird, super nerdy. I loved it so much. We started the year with 27 students. Uh, by second year advanced Greek, we got to four students left, and I was one of them. And the other three were like, brilliant students. Uh, one of them was one of my best friend in college named Dallas. He's actually a professor at Bethlehem with John Piper. He's super smart. He like writes articles with footnotes. He's super genius. And uh, <laughs> the other student that was in that class, Randy, read uh, Tolstoy's, uh, I think it was War and Peace and uh, The City of God for fun during the summer just to talk to us about it. That's that guy, and he's still, you know, a brainiac genius. They're smart. And then there was a girl that was just a weirdo genius. Anyway, so there was four of us in this class, and, um, and by the grace of God and my interest in the scriptures, I have an insatiable unsa hunger for the word of God. So hungry to know what every word means and what God means, uh, I was at the top of my class and obviously should not have been at the top of my class with these other students, but I was. Well, I walk into class one day, and the other students are there, and I'm friends with them. We, we became close friends. We had like a Greek meal together. It was fun. Uh, I go in there, and it's a test day, and I'm running around the room, and my friend Dallas turns to me and says, Jack, what are you doing? Sit down. Why are you running around the room like an animal? And I couldn't explain it. I, I couldn't tell you now what was going on in my brain. I couldn't stop running. I just ran around this room and then I ran into the bathroom. I locked the door and I sat there for the whole hour. I left my stuff there. Dallas came looking for me. Uh, my professor who I was close with came looking for me because I was at the top. Of my, I, I, made, I was making straight A's. I was doing fine, but I wasn't doing fine. And he meets with me and he's like, something's wrong, Jack. I said, I know. I don't know what it is. I have no clue. I'm healthy. I was working out. I was physically fit. The, fit, the most fit I've ever been in my whole life. I was doing great and something was just wrong. And now I look back and realize I was dealing with trauma from the past that I wasn't knowing exactly how to handle on my own. And, uh, and he had a good friend from like grade school and he's old and it was like, they graduated from high school in the 1800s. And so his friend 
was a doctor of internal medicine. And because I was making $420 a month, uh, he got me a free visit with his friend in New Albany near town. And I went and saw this doctor of internal medicine for a number of times throughout the month. And uh, he diagnosed me with a few things. It's not important. Uh, But he prescribed me medicine and talked to me. And he told me, you have a lot of trauma and relational strife that you need to deal with. You have to deal with it. And this, these symptoms of anxiety that you're experiencing are due to the stress and unprocessed stuff that you're dealing with. Now, I didn't fully understand what that meant at the time. But in my life, I've realized we all deal with stress at different levels, and we're all like there's a spectrum of anxiety and stress for everyone. Some of us deal with it, and there's deep stress due to, uh, all stress, by the way, is, is due to fear and uncertainty, this overwhelming feeling. Um, if, you look in the, if you look in the scripture, the word for worry that we're going to read in Philippians 4, that word is only used 19 times in the New Testament. It, it's always speaking about this undue concern, this, this concern that you have that is, that is taking over your mind and your heart. You're frozen with fear. And um, you feel uneasy. You feel nervous. You feel fearful, hesitant, frightened, concerned, angst-ridden. Uh, a lot of times this word is synonymous with apprehensive expectation. Actually, in the DSM, the uh, Diagnostic, and, Di- Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorder, uh, they've now, they came out with five uh, 10 years ago-ish. Um, they have the DSM-5. They write about anxiety and general anxiety disorder and anxiety in our culture. What, what people, this is what secular minds are saying about anxiety and worry. And anxiety is one of the most commonly reported mental health issues in our culture. People are anxious and worried. And it's nothing that you should not be ashamed of of anxiousness. You should not feel ashamed that you worry. I know men and women that worry, a lot of you in this room, two-thirds of Americans said they deal with it in a significant way, according to polls, just in 2019. It's increased since then. 91% of young people, college age and younger, say that they deal with anxiety in a significant way. 91% reported. That's what they deal with. Anxiety is really deeply um, ingrained in our culture. People are stressed. They don't know what to do with worry. Um, I'm not going to go into the clinical side. I want to look at the scripture and look at the word worry, this idea for anxiousness, and I want us to see what does the Bible, what does God instruct us to do with our worry, our anxiety, that stressful, overwhelming feeling that we get? Uh, Because how to deal with it is important according to God. Now, this is not to say that there are not other reasons and times for you to deal with it in a professional manner. Some people need a certain medication to get them jump-started on the right path. They can't think clearly. There's different exercise, food. Those things are significant. They're influential. People need to be aware of those things. This morning, I'm not going to talk about those. I want to focus on what the Scripture says that we should do with worry. What does God say his people ought to do with worry? And, um, and it's found in Philippians 4. And so the first instruction in Philippians 4 of what to do with our worry is to let worry 
strengthen your relationship with God. The first truth about worry is let it strengthen and deepen your relationship with God. Use your anxiety to your advantage. You're going to worry. You're going to have things that are going to cause you to be concerned and it's going to consume your mind. It's going to come to you. You are going to be tempted with worry. What do you do with it? Let it strengthen your relationship with God. In Philippians 4 verse 6, Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians. He says, don't worry about anything. Now, if we were honest, we would all smirk at that statement and say, really, Paul? I mean, don't worry about anything? Okay, that sounds real funny. Like, who would say that? Listen, listen, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I heard your conversation. Um, don't worry about anything, right? Uh, okay, buddy, we're gonna ignore you. No one would wanna hear that. Don't worry about anything. But listen to what Paul says instead of worrying. Instead of having this unduly concern, this apprehensive expectation, instead of focusing on the thing that you're worried about, what do you do with that worry? And you know when you start to worry, you feel restless, uh, you can't sleep, you feel anxious, you're irritable. Um, There's so many symptoms. There's six physical symptoms in the DSM-5 that talk about how people present anxiety in a significant way. Uh, But you know when you're anxious and when you're worried and you're like overly concerned and you're consumed. So he says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't worry. Instead, bring the things that you are worrying about, the thoughts, the feelings, the fears, the concerns, bring all those to God. Take them to God, and this strengthens your relationship with him because when you do present them to God, there are three descriptors in this one verse about what happens when you bring your worries to God. The first one is the word for prayer. Uh, When you talk to God, your relationship deepens. So I want you to think about this verse. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I want you to ask this question and I want you to allow the verse to answer it. Why does Paul repeat himself three times? Or does he repeat himself three times? He says prayer, which is prayer. Petition. What is a synonym of petition? Prayer, asking you prayer. And then he says Present your request to God. What is presenting your request to God? Praying. So you want to ask the question, Paul, you sound like you're repeating yourself three times, but he's not. He's using three different words, uh, and he's using them on purpose. Prayer is the idea of us talking to God. When you talk to God, it deepens your relationship with him. It strengthens your relationship with him. So take advantage when you worry Use that to deepen and strengthen your relationship with God by talking with him. That's one of the ways you deal with it. Do not shove it and bottle it up inside. Listen, silence is not golden because we don't live in a library. We're in a war. And the enemy is going to try to attack you mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Silence is not golden. You need to talk about the things that make you anxious. You need to not be ashamed of feeling anxious. You need to bring those worries to God. And I would 
it's not in this verse, so I'm, not, I'm using this out of another verse. Bear one another's burdens, listen to one another, care about each other's needs. You need to share your anxious thoughts with others as well, not to make them anxious. But share, you need to talk it through. God has created your brain that when you tell the truth of things that are bothering you, it creates neural pathways from your limbic system, which is really close to your spinal cord. It's there to think before you think, and it reacts like fearful, anxious thoughts. It makes you nervous. It causes you to twitch. You need to create a neural pathway to that part of your brain, to other parts of your brain, and process and think about what is it that's bothering me. You do that first through prayer. And it's really good to do that with someone that you love and trust that you can share your burdens with and you can process together with. You need to talk it out. Don't bottle it in. Don't shove it down. Don't think as a man that you can't worry. Men get anxious too. And when Jesus had the most anxious night of his life, and I know some people get upset about this. They say, the Bible says don't worry, so Jesus never worried. Okay, I'll, okay, Th have that thought. Now, now realize this. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying and sweating drops of blood, and he tells his disciples, my soul is grieved to the point of death. Give that whatever name you want to give. Jesus felt that I feel like I could die, and I'm sweating drops of blood, and what did he do? Did he take a nap? What did he do? Did he eat a good meal? Did he go for a run? He prayed. He prayed. He talked with God. He talked it out. He asked his friends to pray. Pray for me. Stay awake. Just for one hour, you could stay awake. I need you to pray. I need you to talk about this. I need you to remember this. Talk to God. Don't bottle it in. Number two, wait for God. So he says, with, through prayer and petition, this presents the idea of, hey, when you petition, what you're doing is you're asking for something you don't have. You're asking God to give you something you don't have. You're asking God to uh, intervene in a situation, not for you to intervene. You're not saying, and petition yourself to do all the work. You're actually asking God, I need you to do the work. That strengthens your relationship with him because it increases your faith and your hope. It causes you to wait on God. When you petition him, you're waiting on him. God, I'm dependent on you. I'm looking to you. Only you can provide this. And so you wait on him. Number three, you choose gratitude. So the way that it strengthens your relationship by presenting your, your uh, request to God, you need to remember the third part, with thanksgiving. This is the choice where you determine, I am going to be grateful. Now, it's not always easy to be grateful, is it? Sometimes it's hard to be grateful. Uh, with my kids, sometimes when they get sad, when they get frustrated and they're like, today's not going like I like, this meal isn't what I wanted. One day, recently Courtney got sick, I made a ham and cheese sandwich with one kind of bread, a peanut butter jelly sandwich with a different kind of bread, and a chicken nugget sandwich with a different kind of bread for, the, for three kids that they should all eat the same thing. But they didn't want the same thing. I'm not happy with this. I want a different thing. And sometimes I have to remember them. Listen, te technically, legally, I do have to feed you. But it's still a gift. You didn't earn this. You didn't buy this bread. You know, you didn't buy these things. Be grateful that you have any food. You know, you don't need your special meal. And then we give them their special meal. But anyway, 
When, with thanksgiving means when you present these needs to God, remember to be grateful. And why are we grateful? We, well, there's different reasons why we're grateful, but look at Proverbs 12, verse 25. Anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. Now, some of you, you can't wait for someone around you to give you a good word. And you know I'm talking to you. All right, right? Sometimes your anxiety weighs the heart down. It's because of the people you live with. And you can't wait for them to say, here's an encouraging word. I love you. You're doing great. It's going to be all right. I'm going to pray for you. Sometimes people aren't going to do that. A cheerful word may need to come from you. And how does it first come to you? Don't wait for someone else to cheer you up. Why are you grateful? Remember the things with thanksgiving. God, I'm presenting this to you, but I have a lot to be grateful to you for. I have a lot to give thanks to you for. You, sometimes you have to be the one to cheer yourself up by giving yourself a good word, and the good word is synonymous with being grateful. You need to remember why you are thankful to God. In Psalm 105, verse 3, boast in his holy name, may the heart of those who seek the Lord be joyful. Boast in his name. With thanksgiving, remembering who he is and what he said and what he did, boast in him with thanksgiving. So why can we be thankful? Here's three short, easy, general reasons why you can be thankful. Because he says with thanksgiving. Number one is God hears you. You can be grateful that God hears you. Two, you can be grateful that God answers your prayers. He actually answers you. He listens to you. He cares about you. That's number three. You could be grateful because God cares for you. First Peter chapter five, verses six and seven, a common memorized verse. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, all your anxieties, all your worries, the things that are overwhelming you. Give them to him. Why? He cares for you. So you can pray with thanksgiving because he listens to you, he answers prayer, and he cares about you. Three immediate initial reasons, and there's more reasons than that. You have reasons in your life why you can be grateful. So Paul says, I'm, I'm saying it another way, what I'm, the principle I'm learning from this. Worry will diminish your joy or it will deepen your, your relationship with God. It will diminish your joy or it will deepen your relationship. You choose. You choose what to do with your worry. No one else is going to choose for you. No one else can do it for you. In order for you to present your request to God with prayer and petition with thanksgiving, that requires you to say, God, I'm grateful to you. I'm bringing this to you. I'm waiting on you. I'm hoping on you. I am coming to you. That's going to deepen your relationship with him, and that's God's word to you. When it comes to worry, take advantage of your worries. Let it deepen your relationship with God. When I think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, that, that was the worst night of his life. And he was so vulnerable to open himself up to us in that. And he prayed three times. The same words, it tells us specifically in Matthew 26, the same words the third time. He deepened his relationship with God even though he was sweating drops of blood, stressed to the point of him saying, I could die I, and he's not exaggerating, right? He's not like a nine-year-old girl that's like, I can't have a popsicle. Oh, my soul is grieved to the point of death. That's not what Jesus was doing in the garden that night. 
Jesus was saying, I could die because what I'm facing is so crushing and heavy, I feel like my soul could die. And his answer, his, his answer, you know his answer. He prayed. It deepened his relationship with God. Worries will diminish your joy or deepen your relationship. It all depends on what you do with them. You cannot keep worries from entering into your life, but you can use them for God's glory. You can use them to deepen your relationship with him. So let your worries strengthen your relationship with God. And number two, let God's peace protect your heart and mind. Let God's peace do a miraculous, supernatural, influential work in your life. He promises he wants to do it. Let him do it. Let God's peace protect your heart and mind. In Philippians 4, 7, it says, and the peace of God, that and is there to say, listen, if you present your request to God and you're trusting in him and you're bringing it to him and you're thankful, when you do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what God brings to you when you come to him with your worry. So there's three descriptions of God's peace in this verse, and I'll give you the three. Number one, it's a supernatural peace. He says, and the peace of God, not the peace of a number of other things. It's supernatural. It doesn't require food, exercise, vitamins, entertainment, drugs, experiences, etc. It doesn't require those things. It requires you coming to God. It's the peace of God. It's supernatural. Number two, it surpasses all understanding, which means it doesn't provide a purely logical explanation. The kind of peace that God wants to bring you when you come to him doesn't have a logical explanation. It doesn't, you can't say, well, here, of course, of course I'm at peace because of this. It's not the result of the government acting righteously. There are some people in this room that are anxious because of what's going on in our government, and they think if the government acts right, then I won't be as anxious. Technically, that's true for some of you. You won't be as anxious as far as presenting symptoms of worrying, but that doesn't mean you're going to get the peace of God. That's not the peace of God that he wants to bring you. It surpasses all understanding. So the peace is not a result of the government acting righteously. It's not a result of your president being elected. It's not a result of your church family doing what you want them to do. It's not a result of your kids putting their dirty dishes in the sink and not to the right of the fridge because that's under the microwave and you tell them don't put it there because it's in place where you didn't make the sandwiches in the first place. Please put it in the sink. Stop putting it to the right of the fridge or hypothetically whatever your thing is. <laughs> if your kids did what you said, would you feel at peace? Yes. There would be a sense of like, hey, this is fun. This is going well. That's not the peace of God that he's talking about. What Paul's talking about and what God wants to give you is not a circumstantial peace because that would be a peace that does not surpass understanding and it makes perfect sense. So it's a supernatural uh, peace that passes understanding. It's the kind of peace that comes from trusting God. This is the kind of peace where when this peace enters your heart and mind, this can be your prayer and you could say it honestly. God, I don't have to understand. 
These things that I'm worried about that are causing me to kneel and bow and put my my nose in the carpet and pray, God, please, I'm worried about this. I'm anxious about this. You tell me not to be anxious and worried. I want to give this to you. This thing is making me concerned. I want to give this over to you. Let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, your will be done. I don't have to understand it. In order to have your peace, you don't have to give me all the answers. You don't have to fix all the things that I'm potentially worried about. The kind of peace that I want from you is a supernatural peace that passes understanding, and that's what I'm coming to you for. Would you give me a supernatural peace that you promise to those who come to you? It's not void of other ways in which you try to find peace and relief. It's just different. The peace of God is supernatural. It surpasses all understanding. And number three, it's found in Jesus. It says, and... uh, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's because your faith and your trust and your hope is in him. You're putting all your eggs in his basket. You're saying the supernatural peace I need with this worry that I have as I'm bringing it to you, the supernatural peace I'm looking for, it's only found in you. You're trusting in him. Isaiah 26, verse 3, I love this verse. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. For, in that Hebrew word, it also, the the way that's constructed, because it is trusting in you. You bring perfect peace to the mind that's dependent, trusting on you. That's what you do. You do something I cannot do. You do something my neighbor cannot do. You do something that my spouse cannot do. You do something that my community and my children and my situation, you offer something that no one else can do. I am dependent on you and trusting in you. And God says, when you bring it to me, I will give you a supernatural peace. Surpasses all understanding. And it's one whose mind is dependent fully on God. This piece comes from believing Psalm 121. The Lord is our helper. A lot of you know Psalm 121. I lift my eyes toward the mountains or the hills. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. My help that I need, the spiritual help that I need, the supernatural help comes only from the Lord. So let God's peace protect your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Don't look for this kind of peace. Now, there is other kinds of peace. There's peace that will come from exercise, from healthy eating, from good habits, from counseling. There is a sense in which you relieve some of the stress, and and those are good things. It's not an either or, it's both and. But the peace of God that Paul is writing about, that he's telling the church, this is what I want all of you to do with your worry. If you don't get the other right, you better get this right. Bring your worries to me. Trust in me. Wait on me. Be thankful. Look to me. I will be there. I will be supernatural and I will give you a peace. I will give you a perfect peace for your mind. That comes through waiting on the Lord. You will not find that. People that don't believe in the Lord, that don't have a faith in Jesus, they can have a peace. You know what I mean? They can be functional well. They can be smiling and laughing. They can be at peace in their life. That's possible. 
They can even blindly think, I'm fine. I don't need God. That's not the peace that Paul's talking about. The supernatural peace he's talking about is from God. That's the peace that God says, I want that for you first. It's not that he doesn't want other kinds of peace for you. It's just that that's what he's telling you in Philippians 4. I want you to do with your worry. What do you do with your worry? How do you disarm anxiety? Bring it to me. Come to me in this way. So let your worries strengthen your relationship with God. Let God's peace protect your hearts and minds. And third, let the truth direct your thoughts and actions. Let the truth direct your thoughts and actions. Don't allow other things to direct your thoughts and actions because when they do, it will lead you astray. He gives a list. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, and a lot of people think, oh, Paul is on to his next chapter because of the word finally. No, this is his way of saying, listen, we've talked about worry. Bring your worry to God. Now, finally, if you guys would just do this, this is what I'm coming to. This is what I'm trying to bring your attention to. Finally, brothers and sisters, You've got your worry. You know what to do with them. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Let these things that are good direct your thoughts. You choose what you allow to enter into your mind. This doesn't mean that you always choose what you think about. When I wake up, Almost every day, I wake up with negative thoughts every day. I wake up and I think about something I said in a sermon years ago that I regret, that I feel bad. I feel like people look at me and go, you're such a bad preacher. I will just wake up and it just happens. I just start thinking about that. I'll think about something I said that I wish I wouldn't have. I th- I'll think about a person that really wants to connect with me and I haven't connected with them and now it's been a week and now I don't want to call them because now I feel embarrassed and I forgot about it and then I wait another week and now it's been a month. I just wake up thinking of a ton, a thousand negative thoughts immediately. As a, right? You would love to be married to me. I just immediately, just <laughs> negative thinking all the way, just immediately. I wake up that way. I dream that way. My dreams sometimes, this week I've had horrible nightmares and I, I think I know why It doesn't have to do with the sermon, but I've just had horrible nightmares, just horrible. And I wake up thinking these negative, discouraging thoughts. Uh, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I shouldn't be where I am. I mess up so much. I'm just the worst. I'm the problem. I just wake up thinking that as soon as I don't even take my head off the pillow. That's what I start with. And I have to remind myself, I didn't start that thought but it's my choice whether I, what I do with it. I didn't start it, but I choose what I do with it. But there are things that I do start. And, and I love you. I say this like a brother, and I want you to love me after this is over because I'm a people pleaser now because I love you guys so much. You guys start a lot of bad thoughts in your life because of what you watch, what you read, and what you talk about. I do too. You decide what you, enter, what you allow enter into your mind. So think about what Paul's saying. You got your worries? Now dwell on these things. Dwell on what is true. You know, Satan is the father of lies, and he wants you to worry, so he's going to whisper lies into your mind. Uh, dwell on what is honorable. This means what is respectful for others. So if you go about your day and you're thinking negative thoughts about another person, you're upset with them, you don't want to forgive them, they're bad, anything that is dishonorable about that person, when you dwell on that, when you think negative thoughts about another person, that affects you. 
That changes your mental health. That changes your mentality. When you dwell on what's not honorable, it affects your life. It affects your attitude, your mood, your relationships. You guys know this. But as, when I'm reading over this, I'm like, this is so good. I, I feel like I'm back in kindergarten. I need to remind myself of this truth. So dwell on what is honorable, what's respectful of other people. Don't think of disrespectful thoughts, even if you never say it. If you think it, according to brain scans, it has the same effect in your mind, even if you don't say it. What you think matters. Uh, think about what is just. That means what's fair. Don't be thinking about unfair, unrighteous, mean, revengeful, and uh, like too bad, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. Don't think about those things. If you think about those things, it's like poison to your mind. Think about what is pure, and this is so significant in our culture. If you are, choo and it's you choosing it, if you choose to watch immoral, impure images and shows and things, it's gonna affect your life. It's gonna change your mental health. You think it's no big deal because the whole world's doing it, but think about it. How are we doing? I mean, how is our country doing? Are we super mentally healthy? It does have an effect. Dwell on what is pure. Don't allow impure images. Don't go looking at stuff. Make a choice. It's your choice. And don't make excuses. No one's making you. You do it. Make the choice to dwell on what is pure. Don't be watching impure junk. Impure thoughts will only lead to an, uh, impure life and actions. So let the truth and what is good direct your thoughts and actions. Some things you don't start. A lot of things you do. And it's based on what you watch and what you read and how you talk and where you go. And that's your choice. And I love you. <laughs> so next word, lovely. Think about what is lovely. Now, I did a word study on this because I was like, lovely? Like, what does this mean? Not a common word. It, you know how it's translated? Lovely. The other word is amiable, a word I've never used in my entire life. So I was stuck with lovely. I'm like, what's lovely? I feel like women are really good at this. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, this is lovely. Oh, this is lovely. Guys are like, yeah, I don't, I've never heard a guy say, oh, that's lovely. So let me translate for you dudes, right? Think about what is lovely. Think about a 2022 Toyota Tundra with a grill and, and the tires that are huge and look like they could just, you know, climb over Mount Rushmore and it's, uh, it's got all the, you know, it's like turbo extra charge. Just imagine that. Isn't that lovely? Think, think about like that, you know, that, that, I don't know, I'd make up a bunch of stuff, but that perfect gun with that $4,000 scope that you're just gonna just shoots these amazing big bullets to be big animals. I mean, just amazing things. Like, whatever is lovely, think about what is pleasing and good, but it also has to be true. It also has to be honorable. It also has to be morally excellent and praiseworthy. So think about what is lovely. The next word is commendable. Think about what is commendable. Dwell on things that are commendable. What does commendable mean? I'll, I'll use a word that's related to this. F dwell on what you would recommend to someone else. That's commendable. It's something that someone would say, hey, I think it's really good that you're thinking about that. Another way to say it is dwell on things that if your mind had a projector and your thoughts were projected on the screen for everyone in the room to see, Dwell on those things that you'd be like, I'm okay with that, and that's a good thing. 
Don't think about things that you would be embarrassed and wrong and immoral for someone to think about. So think about, dwell on what's commendable, what you would recommend to someone else. This word also means praiseworthy, but because it has another verb that means praiseworthy, two words down, they don't use praiseworthy, but it means praiseworthy. Think about something that people would say, hey, that's good. The second praiseworthy means think about things that causes people to praise God. So it's a different, it's a slightly different. Uh, so, so praiseworthy, it causes you to pray. Dwell on things that make you say, God, you're the best. I love you. I want to give my life to you. You're, you're why I'm alive. You're why I'm, uh, all my hope is in you. Dwell on things that cause you to praise God. Entertainment is tricky. That's one of my uh, strongest temptations, entertainment and food. I will go to entertainment to feel better and need to be convicted by the verse that's not gonna bring me the peace of God. What I need right now is peace because I'm stressed and I don't have answers. I don't need to veg out and decompose. Sometimes decompressing takes 15 minutes. I don't need to spend an hour and a half watching a movie. I need the peace of God. I need to come to him, think about what is praiseworthy and morally excellent. It's gotta be good. It's gotta be what God would say is good. It doesn't matter if you say, well, it doesn't bother me. I actually talked with a guy one time that watched a show that's horrible. It's got nudity in it. He said, well, it doesn't bother me. And I was like, okay, I'm not saying I don't care. It bothers God. I know it doesn't bother you. I get that. That doesn't matter. It's not morally excellent. Stop putting this in your mind. It is not going to help you. You may not even know how it's drawing you away from God, but wake up call it is going to draw you away from God because it's not morally excellent. It's not according to God and it's gonna draw you away. You're a human being. You were designed to be drawn. You want to be drawn to God. Stop watching that garbage. Uh, but that's hard because there's a lot of you in here. You wanna watch garbage because it's entertaining and fun. I get that. I too do. I want to watch garbage because it's entertaining. I admit that. There are movies I still wanna see that came out years ago that I haven't seen. To this day, I know it's not good for me. To this day, I know I shouldn't see it. I still want to see it. And I've had to bring that to God. God, I don't wanna dwell on what's not good. I love entertainment. I wanna watch these things. I have to choose not to because I want the peace of God. I want God's strength and spirit and drawing me to him. And those things will not. Those things will draw me away. So ask yourself, what consumes my thought life? And here's the harder question. What part do you put in there? There's thoughts that you don't start, but there's a lot of starts, thoughts you do start. So dwell on what is good and practice the truth. Philippians 4.9, people don't connect these verses, but they're totally connected. He didn't have different verses when he wrote this. Do, that's an action verb. So he said, dwell in verse eight. Now do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. Verse seven tells us that the peace of God will guard your hearts. He used peace of God. And then on purpose, Paul switches it around like a ninja and says, the God of peace. You need the peace of God and you need the presence of the God of peace. We need peace. Peace is the answer to our worries. Now, I know there's certain worries in certain situations where people need extra help in those ways, and that is good. I, it's a both and. But everybody needs this kind of peace. And there's only one way to get this kind of peace, not different ways. It's a supernatural peace by bringing it to God. God will be with you. 
He will bring you peace because he's promised it, not me. I'm not accountable to him, or I'm not accountable for him. He's accountable for himself. He promises to bring that kind of peace. It doesn't come instantaneously. It's not always on our timeline. We know this. Is God ever on your timeline? Never on mine. My kids are more on my timeline than God is. And so he doesn't work on our timeline, but he does promise to give his peace and be the God of peace in your situation, but it requires waiting. Psalm 27 verse 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Persevere. Perseverance is a command in the New Testament. It's not a result. Perseverance is a choice. Persevere. Be strong. Let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray and the band's gonna come up and the worship team is gonna come up and and lead us. Father, we're so grateful for your peace. We're thankful for your word, for your truth, for thanksgiving. There's so many things for us to be grateful for. And so we pray, would you help us not to be an anxious people, that we would present our request to you, that we would trust you, wait on you, that we would have attitudes of gratitude and being thankful to you. We need your supernatural peace. So we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.